The Big Money Music Hour is presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards located in Rocheport, Missouri. Les Bourgeois has been a mid-Missouri winery for more than three decades with over 20 different wines ranging in style and sweetness. Les Bourgeois Vineyard wines are available at your local retailer and online at MissouriWine.com. Support also comes from Mount Nebo Inn and Guide Service located across from Meriwether Cafe and the Katy Trail in Rocheport, Missouri. Mount Nebo Inn offers lodging, a space for events, and boat-guided wine tours of the Missouri River. For more information, visit mountneboinn.com. Support also comes from Ozark Mountain Biscuit Company, offering southern-style sandwiches from their food truck and take-and-bake buttermilk biscuits in the freezer section of Columbia-area Hy-Vee's, Clover's, and The Root Cellar. More information at ozarkmountainbiscuits.com. And finally, the Big Money Music Hour is presented by Burr Oak Brewing Company. Burr Oak has a 15,000 square foot facility that makes social distancing while drinking a beer and having a pizza very much possible. For more information, visit burroakbeer.com. Welcome to the Big Money Music Hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. I'm your host, Colin Laveau, the shameless voice playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond. And tonight we have a bona fide guitar god, and let's just say rock god, from the mid-Missouri music scene. We have Brent Moore of the Many Colored Death. Probably, no, not probably, the hottest rock act out of mid-Missouri over the last decade, in all honesty. I had a great talk with Brent Moore that night. It's the longest interview that we've done so far with the Big Money Music Hour, but that's okay, right? Because this is why we have the podcast. The radio show allows me the opportunity to be able to play music by these artists, but the podcast allows me to play the extended interviews with these artists. And so that being said, obviously, as you know, podcast listener, if you have been listening, I cannot play music by most of the artists that i have on the show so you're going to need to search out the the many color death on spotify apple music wherever you get your music be sure you find them and check it out Uh, you can also listen to the extended version of the radio broadcast on bigmoneymusichour.com so since we have such a long chat ahead of us that is worth every minute I guarantee <laughs> we have a lot of belly laughs. We have we had a we had a great time. Uh, Brent is such a great guy as you are going to see in this interview. So we're we're just gonna get right to it. We're gonna get to our chat with Brent Moore from the Many Colored Death. With me tonight at the Stomping Grounds, 
I have none other than Brent Moore of the Many Color Death. Thank you for joining the Big Money Music Hour. Oh, the crowd goes wild. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> the crowd of one. <laughs> you, uh, you, and I'm lamenting me. that. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate well, it, Colin. Good to be here. Dude, thanks for coming out to the Stomping Grounds. I know you've, you've been out to the grounds. I don't know that you've been in this particular space before. Not this one. I have stomped on them. You have stomped on yeah. them. I watched you. You know, It got to the point where I was almost like, all right, you, you stomped enough. Yeah. You know, maybe we weird, just need to back up. It was back a muddy up. night. It was storm rolled through. <laughs> that was pretty wild. It w- actually was a really crazy. stormy, crazy <laughs> night. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, that's usually how it rolls out here at the stomping grounds. But, you know, I was actually lamenting before we started this that it's uh, only you. I love you. Don't get me wrong. Love you, too. But, you know, the sum of your parts when it comes to True. the Many Colored Death. Uh, Brent Moore is the lead guitarist and vocalist uh, behind the Many Colored Death. But the, they're a power trio unlike any that I've seen in the mid-Missouri area. And among the many color death is also Shea Spence on drums and Preston Rogers, Rogers yes. on <laughs> bass. And, uh, you know, I, I'm new to this whole interviewing gig. And there, honestly, there's a kind of like insecurity. You're only, this is only the 10th episode of the Big Money Music Hour. And if I'm being real, there's a, a slight insecurity of me wondering, can I handle more than one per talking to one person? It's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask with us specifically. I don't know that, I don't know that we're the ones you want to try that out on. But it I mean? was, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like, uh, it's like uh, give me the biggest guy in the room first, you know? Let me try it. Let me fight that guy. And then it's all easy from there because you've already been through the... <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, you guys were my first choice for a band to to bring into being my first band to interview sure. as opposed to a particular individual. So, Shay, Preston, I miss you right here in the right now and the present. I wish you were here right now because I know we would all be sharing a lot of uh, belly laughs. Yes. And, uh, yes. Because the bottom line is you guys are, are aside from the fact that the Many Color Death is just, bar none, the hottest modern rock act in Missouri right now, period. It's very kind of you to say Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for saying that, but it, but I'm just speaking from my heart, and I, I don't I don't blow smoke. Like, the, the reality is the Mae Keller death has uh, really just made a strong name for themselves, but beyond that, beyond the fact that they have such a strong musical presence, not only in mid-Missouri, but across the Midwest at large, there's so much fun to hang around, and I wish that, that, that we could have Shay and Preston's presence here tonight. So, Shay and Preston, just know that uh, you're here in spirit. They are. Uh, you know. They I, are. I can feel them, actually, in this room. I, I know. Feel, it's kind of weird. It is a little strange. <laughs> I wish they were here. <clears throat> but since Brent Moore is the only current member of the Many Color Death here presently at the Big Money Music Hour... I have questions about you, sir. Give them to me. Shoot me. I mean, shoot them. I mean, give them to me. I mean, shoot them to me. I don't know. <laughs> you picked the wrong person. <laughs> well, I think I picked the right person because yes, you're okay. probably the person I know sure. the least about. Oh, all right. Cool. So Let's this is it. where I shine the, the bright light in your face and cool. say, where were you 
when you started your musical journey. Yes. Because you're not from mid-Missouri, right? You're from Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. So what made you want to start playing music? So uh, it didn't happen in Louisiana. I'll say that. So I was in Louisiana from the time I was born up until uh, uh, through seventh grade was all my time there. And that was time there with my family. All my family lived there, all that. Uh, completely musical family. So I grew up around it. It was always there. But I was never really encouraged necessarily to be a musician or anything like that. It was just everybody sang. You know, every Christmas everyone was around the piano. Everybody sang. Um, everyone sang in church. You know, my mom and her brothers and my grandparents, when my mom was a kid, they all were like a gospel group that traveled around the region and sang and did all that kind of stuff. So uh, so that was a big deal in my grandparents' house to all gather around the piano at the holidays or when we had get-togethers, and everyone would sing. Now, I was the goofy kid. I could imagine. I, I know, right? <laughs> Shocker. Uh, I was the kid uh, kind of uh, getting my granddad hot under the collar because I wouldn't like, you know, I I couldn't look at a sh uh, like sheet music and he'd say, follow these lines. And I'd be like, okay. And I would kind of try to like visualize it and follow. But, you know, my mom's like, oh, I'll be tenor and I'll play soprano and I'll be alto. They would just pick parts and go. And I didn't know any of that as a little kid. Um, and no one ever really tried to teach me that. I was a sports kid. So I played baseball, I played basketball, I played football. Those were, that's what I was into because that's what all my friends were into. Um, but music was always there. So I always loved music. It was always a part of my life, but I wasn't actively participating in it other than singing in church or singing with my family or being goofy. I've got a tape at the house that my mom made of me when I was a kid and it's just me singing goofy nursery rhymes and stuff like that. Um, and we used to do, like, we would be driving around, and my mom would uh, say, let's, mas let's match pitch. And so she would just go, uh, and I would have to go, uh, and try to match what she was singing. That was, like, the most training I ever got <laughs> singing. That's but, good, though. But as a kid, that's, that's something... a cool, yeah, I mean, I can look back at it now and go, wow, that made a huge difference. Absolutely. Probably just being able to use my ear. At what age was that? To hear, oh, this was, I mean, as, as young as I can remember, yeah, being able to sing. Yeah, that's huge. That's so, so good. three, four years old, whatever, she was, like, you know, because back then I was in the front seat <laughs> with her because we didn't have all the laws we have now about that. Kind of stuff. I was probably standing in the front seat, as a matter of fact, next to her, Our driving shoulders. down the highway. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, so anyways, it, it was there, but I wasn't actively participating in it. Um, I was a sports kid. Fast forward, uh, my mom gets remarried and my stepdad's from Texas. And after seventh grade, the decision was made, we're going to move to Texas. So uh, seventh grade year is crucial in sort of my musical journey because we moved halfway through the year. I went to a different school than I had. I'd gone to the same school my whole life. It was K through eighth. And then halfway through seventh grade, there was a, a private Christian school at the church where we went. And they wanted me to come and play sports for their school and were willing to give me kind of like a scholarship to come and go to their school. Uh, and at that point, we, we weren't moving yet. So I was, uh, cool, yeah, come on. So I went to a different school. A lot of kids already knew, but it was small and it was different. But we moved across town. We weren't in the country anymore. And the key was, now we had cable and we got MTV. So I saw Game Plush. I saw all these videos in 92 
of these new bands, you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all this stuff, 91, 92. Um, and I was suddenly aware of that world because music to me, to that point, you know, I listened to like, I had Michael Jackson's Thriller. I had, uh, you know, like the Footloose soundtrack. You know, those are the tapes that I was allowed to have. And then I would go over to my friend Randy's house next door and he had Motley Crue and he had, you know, Poison and Warrant and all this kind of stuff that I wasn't supposed to be listening to. But he had that stuff. But I wasn't aware of grunge yet. You know, that was brand new. And here I am watching MTV for the first time in my life and I'm like blown away <laughs> by what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was so cool. I mean, again, I didn't, I wasn't playing music or anything like that, but I just recognized it as like, man, this is neat and I like the way it sounds and my mom kind of doesn't like it. So. Yeah, I, I had a, a, a somewhat similar experience in that I grew up on a farm just in between Hallsville and Centralia, uh, 80-acre farm, thereabouts, and I became to uh, befriend the Brothers Image Band, which to this day, every once in a while, it, chances are if you live in the mid-Missouri area, you've heard of the, the Brothers Image Band at, at some point. And uh, my best friend in kindergarten, uh, when the first day I went to kindergarten, I really didn't have any preconceptions or how to, or any knowledge about how to interact with their other kids. I just grew up on this farm and didn't really have any preschool or anything like that. All of a sudden, I'm dumped into Hallsville kindergarten, and I just meet this kid, and I say, "Hey." will you be my friend? And he says, yeah, I'll be your friend. And his name is Aaron Jenkins. And he and his brothers uh, were a part of this band called the Brothers Image Band. And they were uh, predicated upon their, their, their father, who also had the Brothers Image Band back in the 70s. They'd play cool. on the loop in uh, Las Vegas back you know, during like, lounge, like legit casino lounge days. And Archie, their father, it, it still lives in the same house to this day in Hallsville, uh, just has this amazing cache of the most perfect, beautiful Fender vintage amps you can possibly imagine. I've, yeah, I've seen this. I've, I've, I'm aware of this person. Yeah, I have okay, seen this there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't per like seen it in person, but I have been made aware of this person and that they have this amazing collection of amps. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my I, I would roll around with my dad and he'd show me the Beatles and stuff like that. And I, I, I was totally down with that as a, a five or six year old. But then, you know, I met Aaron and they were like, oh, we're listening to Led Zeppelin. Right. You know, it's like they were like 10 years advanced from where I was at at that moment. Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we're, we're, we're listening to Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and you know i'm like six or seven years old and i'm like oh this is what my my older sisters that are like 10 and 13 years older than i am are listening to and it's it's kind of uh it's it's funny how how that those seminal moments can really uh lay the groundwork yep. for what is uh you know essentially the the, the paving stones that lead us on our musical journey yep. uh you know particularly for for you and me because I, I know that um we're so deeply influenced by acts like uh pearl jam and yeah. Soundgarden. i would be remiss not to bring up the seattle royale series that we had up until this year right. <laughs> uh, thanks covid yeah thanks covid19 
we had a good run with Seattle Royale. We it's going to come back. It but I, I remember the moment that Seattle Royale became a thing. And it was after a Johnny Cash hootenanny at what I'm pretty sure at the moment was then Mojo's, but is now Rose Music Hall. And I had played it, and I was talking to Pat Kay at the back of the bar. I'm like, you know what we need to do? We need to do a Seattle-themed version of one of these shows, and we need to do have Many Color Death play Soundgarden at this show. That was, you know, at that moment I wasn't even thinking about DN playing Pearl Jam. I, but I was like, if you if you have anyone from the mid Missouri scene play. A 90s band you should have the many color death play Soundgarden and at that moment I didn't know how intrinsically Chris Cornell and Soundgarden had actually influenced you I just knew that you guys would do a really good job at it and you know I'm I'm a we we've kind of had an emotional journey as far as that's concerned because um, we you know Chris Cornell uh, committed suicide, I think two and a half years ago at this three. point. I think three, it was just, it was third just about three years ago. Recently, and uh, we we did a, a a tribute to Chris at, at Rose Music Hall that night. That was very emotional, and it was pretty much set forth with the understanding that it would at least for a very substantial amount of time be the only event like that that we would do that was particularly in Chris's name and uh, all of all of the funds raised as far as I remember went directly to organizations that raise awareness as far as uh, suicide prevention yes and things of that sort but I definitely want to ask you know you personally when did Soundgarden become something that really hit you on an intrinsic level and what was that like for you another guy i had befriended in eighth grade um on the basketball team his name was jason mitchell and he was a drummer and i didn't know that when i met him but but we really we kind of hit it off and even though secretly he didn't like me because i was the new kid (laughs) and and he was mad that people liked me for some reason because I was the new kid and he had been around a long time. Anyways, he was a drummer. He was a really good drummer. And uh, so when we got into high school, um, we stayed friends into high school and that sort of thing. And I, when I started playing guitar, I would go over to his house after school from time to time. And that's when his band rehearsed. And so his band was, he was on drums. He was my age. His older brother, Paul, played guitar. He was a great guitar player. Like, I'd never seen anyone, like, play the songs I heard on the radio like that. I'm like, oh, my God, he can, he can play the songs I know. It sounds like Isn't it. Isn't that awesome? It's the first crazy. time that you yeah. have a drummer that it's like, whoa, this guy actually, like, keeps time. And even, Seriously. It even kind of, like, sounds like right. yeah. what, what's on the radio. It was nuts. How is that possible? I was just so blown away at 15 watching them rehearse in their family, you know, living room. Um, and, uh, and so we were freshmen. His brother was a senior, so he was that many years older, than us, three or four, whatever. And, uh, and then the bassist was a year younger than him. So we had a freshman, uh, a junior, and a senior. The bassist had, a, he was amazing. He had been playing music forever. 
His whole family was musical. He was a, a Mexican guy, so his family played Tejano music, and he had grown up playing Tejano music with his family in a family band. And like his sister played drums, his brother played drums, his dad played accordion and guitar and all this kind of stuff. They all sang. Just an extremely musical family, uh, which was really cool. And so I would go and watch him and just be like, uh, and then I would go to Paul and say, show me something. Well, he would show me a little thing. He showed me like a bar chord. Here's a bar chord. Here's how you play it. Okay. And I go home and just like work and work and work. Meanwhile, at their house, the music, so they had a similar thing to what I had, which was a Christian upbringing. So there were certain things you couldn't have in the house and you couldn't listen to, but there were certain things you could, and they had to be like parent approved and all that. One of those bands was King's X. One of those bands was Rush. And one of those bands was Soundgarden. I don't know how Soundgarden slid in there, but they did. <laughs> and they had Bad Motorfinger. But that was my introduction, really, to like, oh, I, I can listen to a whole Soundgarden record and hear this. But at the time, my number one absolute favorite band in the world was the Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know why they hit me so hard, but they did. Like, Siamese Dream just became my favorite thing in the world and the coolest thing about loving the smashing pumpkins was that they were extremely prolific with material yeah every single that came out had multiple b-sides and some uk thing and i would go to like best buy or i'd go to cd warehouse anywhere i go because they always had these import uk singles with these b-sides that weren't on anything else and a whole album of b-sides and then they put Pisces it out yeah, well, that's you what know? i'm saying they, yeah. they put my, my, out my mom even knew was not, you know, into the alternative rock scene in the 90s as much as, you know, me, for yeah. instance. She loved the Pisces Iscariot Smashing Pumpkins album. Yeah. It, it had that version of Landslide. Landslide, yep. You know, yep. and that was her favorite version yeah. of yeah. Landslide. And it, it really is one of the best versions yeah, of Landslide Yeah, it's a really great version. It's a really know? great version. And that, again, that, for a person discovering rock music that way discovering like what I wanted to hear again they were so prolific and provided so much music and and it was cool too because you could hear the things that weren't perfect and you could hear because they put everything out you know so, like you would read the liner notes and it'd be like recorded in my bedroom on a November night and you can hear the train in the background going by or what you know you can hear the sirens in the distance and it's as a kid that was like captured my imagination. I was just obsessed. Now, quick backstory on what was going on with me at that time. Uh, so my dad was gay. My dad was dying of AIDS. So I found that out when I was 13, I believe. And so for the time, roughly when I was 13 till he passed when I was 16, Every holiday, every, anything that was significant was always like, this could be the last one. So that's a hard thing for a kid to like process. And you're yeah. like trying to work through just normal adolescent stuff. I mean, it's still like, you tell not like affects me now. Jeez. Um, I mean, how could it not? I, so, I had no idea. So that was a heavy thing that was always there and was really kind of the impetus that took me away from sports and led me down music's path because there was just something more cathartic about creating and uh, 
And maybe that's part of what caught me with the pumpkins, is it seemed like they were a little more left of center, a little more, like, emotionally raw. He was kind of just, like, letting out his own... Yeah, I mean, yeah, you there's, just there's hear so it, it just sounded... Yeah, it didn't sound quite so macho all the time. No. <laughs> it just sounded a little more... Yeah, like, just Emotionally vulnerable. vulnerable. It was just and... vulnerable in, in some of the things he wrote about. And, you know, and he took a lot of flack for a lot of that stuff, too. Um, it wasn't until I was older where Soundgarden hit me in that way. Because I was hearing what Soundgarden was doing, but I wasn't, like, listening to what Soundgarden... You know, I wasn't listening to what Chris was saying in a lot of that stuff. And now when you look back, you're like, oh, my God, this guy was tortured. You know, you, you especially since yeah. I've done the Seattle Royale thing. Um, you listen to music that much, and you learn the words, and you learn the way it's sung, and you learn you how it's a perspective played. That, you're in their head that, from where they were. Yeah, at, you're absolutely in their head when you're when you're performing those songs, um, because that's how we want to perform. We want to try to do them as well as we can, and in the spirit of the way that they would have done them. And and so, uh, you know that later on that those emotions sort of sort of hit me so back to your question about Soundgarden it wasn't until much later I had Super Unknown I was introduced to Bad Motor Finger but at the time Pumpkins was my band I loved STP I got really into Rush because of my buddy and his band and I ended up joining that band um, I, I proved myself worthy enough. I learned enough from what his brother was teaching me. You know, we sat down at Pretty Penny was the first song we learned together. And he had the tab book for, uh, for Purple. And so he's like, let's, all right, fine. He kind of was getting like, tired of me asking him to show him. Is stuff. Purple not mo- one of the most well, it unsung, is. Have, unsung best rock albums I have a whole list. I have a list of albums that I consider perfection. Like, Song one, all the way to the end. I can listen to yep. them anytime. All killer, no I don't filler. skip anything. Yeah, and it's like Siamese Dream is that album for me. Ten is that album for me. Maybe even Versus. Purple's that album for me. There's just a, there was a lot going on at that time. You know, the bins and OK Computer. I mean, there was just, there was a lot going on. But um, the ones that resonated with me, especially because I was hanging out with them and going to their house and, and, and hanging out, uh, they had a VHS of Rush, uh, Exit State, no, all the world's a stage. So that was like their 80s period, super synth heavy, but it was live. And I'd never seen a band play live like Rush played live. I was just like, how is he playing? He's playing bass with his feet? Like, what is going on? Like, how are all these things occurring with three people? And that probably put the thing in my brain that 25 years later made me think, maybe you can do a power trio. Because I'd never been in a band as the only guitarist. I was in that band in high school. I didn't do anything in college other than just write riffs and tunes and make up my own songs and stuff. Um, and I joined a band briefly for about six months, much, you know, 10 years after college or high school or whatever, with a buddy from high school, a different band. Um, and it just didn't fit. But those are the only two bands I've ever been in, besides Mini Color Death. And that's the first trio I've been in, and it's the first band where I was like the lead singer. The one in high school, everybody sang. So we each had our own songs, and I sang a lot of them, but we had our own songs, and we had like three-part harmonies and four-part harmony, all this like crazy stuff that was a little outside of our true capability, you know, to do really well, but we were excited. We thought we were really innovative at the time and creative because we were doing all of this kind of extra stuff that other people weren't throwing into the sound, but... Um, 
anyways, a, a lot of that time for me was so locked in. Again, I had this like this current under me that was constant, which was just like my family stuff and my dad's stuff and that always going on. And when that finally hit in 1996 and he died in February, um, like my whole world shifted from that point. I did, I like baseball was the, was my sport. I was going to go to college and play baseball. I was like, man, that was my thing. And that's what my family always told me. And that's what I always thought it was going to be. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I just didn't want to do it. I wasn't excited about the season coming up in the spring and all that. And I just didn't do it. And, uh, I think I was just a wreck for a while. You know, I think I was figuring. I, How I was, could you not be? Man? Well, and, and this too, is something like I I had no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not anything I like go out and broadcast. Well, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> except well, for right except now. Except for right except now. Except I'm yeah. literally broadcasting right but, now. But but you know, I, I you you know someone for for so long, and um, I'm I'm the definition of tears of a clown. Let me put it that way. I will go out of my way to make everybody feel like everything is a okay. Even though maybe behind the scenes I'm like destroyed, or Dude, I'm that's like the curse of my life. It's just I that I feel I've, you so much. That's there. always you don't been even who know. I am as a person. I was voted most humorous senior year. That was my goal, not even to graduate. I just wanted to be voted most humorous, and I almost didn't graduate, which was <laughs> super sad because there's no reason that I shouldn't have. Anyways, it it was a close call, but I did. Um, and uh, but yeah, man, I was I I, I threw myself into music. But I also threw myself kind of into like sadness and sort of uh, melancholy and infinite well, sadness. I mean, it for real. Like, th there's a reason though that that band just for some reason it was even the chords. Yeah, the totally. chords just had a killer melancholy and you, sound. Killer and me, to the just there's something about it. And I don't even know what he's talking about. Half no, time. Neither, you know what yeah, I mean? of course. <laughs> like, yeah. what is the little girl inside of me? Like, what is he even saying? But I don't know. It makes me feel emotional. As an I adolescent, it. I some of the most seminal moments I had also were sm Smashing Pumpkins songs, yeah. and, and a lot of it was centered around Siamese Dream and sure. melancholy and the, and the infinite sadness yep. and. You know, I think that that a lot of that just just chalked up to the fact that those were the bands of the time. Sure. Yeah. But there's there is another aspect to it that I think is directly tied to the mid '90s adolescent experience. Yeah, sure. And you know, you in particular, like that. You know, I, I, everyone has their ups and downs, and. You know, I, I, I consider aspects of my life to be downs, but man, I mean, losing losing a parent like that, I, I, I again, something I had no idea about prior. Yeah. Uh, I, I can only imagine how much it, it makes a lot of sense to me how music could help heal yeah, aspects of that because. The, any of the trauma that's happened to me personally in my life, it's taken music to help heal yeah. those wounds. Yeah. And well, like without said, music, I don't know where I'd be at. Well, that's right. The, and now. That's the thing. I, I think I owe so much to that high school band. Um, at the, I mean, like when that happened, simultaneously, my mom adopted my sister, so I had a brand new baby sister that kind of took their focus away from what I was doing at the time um and so i kind of i just kind of went off in the weeds i mean i don't know how to explain it any other way like i spent so many nights just like 
like, we would go out on the weekends, and I would just get trashed and just cry. I mean, just, like, just weep for hours and hours. And, I mean, that happened for, like, a year. Or, you know, I mean, that was, like, my, my junior and senior year. It just was, like, it was such a, when I think back on it now, it's, I, you know, I just, I was lost. I was kind of just, like, adrift, and I didn't have answers, and I didn't really know. And, of course, I'm going through... A lot of the things a lot of teenagers go through where you're sort of making your own decisions about the world you know so again I came from a very religious family they had their own thoughts about how you cope and how you deal with things and through prayer and all of of this sort of thing and I was kind of rejecting so much of that and just um, yeah I just wanted to be numb you know and it would start out like funny and then it would just turn into like a mess you know and and uh, but I had friends to kind of help me through it. And I did, I almost like, I almost just became like an adopted son at this other house. Cause I was there so much, you know, and I ate dinner with them and I, we hung out and like when I graduated, I gave them a check for food. Like I like, didn't know how much I'd eaten, but we gave them a check cause I felt bad. <laughs> I just like for a year and a half, I'd been eating their food and all this kind of stuff and hanging out, but, and causing who knows what kind of misery, but, uh. But, you know, I mean, that's what, you know, when you're 16 and 17 and 18 and you're just, uh, you're, you're already, you can already be a bit of a loose cannon and then throw on top of it like tragedy and things that you don't know how to fully deal with. Um, and, and then, well, and on top of it, the bassist in our band worked at a liquor store. So, I mean, it's like, it wasn't hard to just roll up and, uh, you know, get, get something to drink while you're there. (laughs) So... It never, um, it was never one of those things where I, I you know, I, I certainly didn't, I, don't, I wasn't like an alcoholic or anything like that. It was never like that. I was, I, I, it was just sort of when everything got quiet, um, that, that was sort of the, the impetus for like me to, to snap and lose it and break down. Cause when I couldn't control my emotions, that's what would happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it never happened like at school or anything like that or, or anything. Now, what happened at school was I just started being a terrible student. You know, I just sort of like checked out mentally and but lucky enough there you know, teachers were kind and they they knew what was going on and they would pull me aside or they would say, "Hey, what can, you know, which was great, you know. But, you know, again, you're a kid and you're just like, "I don't know." You know, <laughs> like I don't I don't know what to tell you. Um, I can't write this paper right now. <laughs> I'm just not like mentally into uh Edgar Allan Poe in this moment or whatever which is completely understandable and they and they knew that too so yeah um so yeah I mean it was a it was a weird time like I said I still those are things that still impact me personally I have a lot of um I have a lot of things that I still work through to this day for sure I mean that's just uh I think that's natural with any sort of Especially at that age, when you lose someone that at such a young age, um, and and if I'm being a hundred percent honest, it's not like uh, my dad was like with me all the time either. You know, I mean, he always lived in another state for the most part from the time that my parents divorced when I was four, because um, he, he was a flight attendant for Delta. Um, so he lived in Dallas for most of the time when I was a kid, and when we moved to Texas. By that time, he was 
pretty sick. And so he had moved back to Louisiana to live with my grandmother. Um, so we kind of just like swapped states. Um, so most of the time I saw him, it was holidays. He would take me on vacations from time to time and stuff like that. And we talked on the phone all the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it still finds its way into music now. It finds its way into lyrics, things I that I'm imagine. working through. But but all of it does, you know. I mean, it's the same with the other side of my family, which is still here and still around. It's that that the upbringing that I did have finds its way into things too. Um, and as I've grown as an adult, and and as my tastes, I wouldn't even say my tastes have changed. I still like a lot of the same music I've always liked, and I'm always looking for the things that I've always liked in music, in the music that I hear now. You know, I, I think it's it's pretty rare for me to just like something that sounds like nothing that I've ever liked before. It's going to have some element that is neat or, or that I've I've liked before, but um, but I but I still am kind of on that journey. There's still things that inspire me. There's still things that when I write, I'm thinking about, because I'm still processing events that happened 25 years ago. I can know? only imagine. I mean, I I go back to, and I think it was in an interview or something that Maynard from Tool uh, did sometime in the late 90s in which <clears throat> he talked about his lyrics and he would find himself in the moments in which he'd be writing lyrics that were very seemingly judgmental. And then he would flip the coin and say, well, is this about the person I'm thinking about while I'm writing them, or am I writing them about myself, yeah. essentially, at the, at the end of the day? Yeah. And I, I think about that a lot. You know, I, ever since I, I, I read that quote, anytime I write anything musically, it's, am, I, am I projecting myself? Or am I, or am I viewing the world through this lens? Yeah. And I think that's that's a really fine line that we all walk. And it, whenever we're dealing with trauma, particularly people that actually have to come up with that 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 find themselves in the position of, of coming up with original music like you or I, it's it's an interesting conversation to have at it the is. end of the day because it, it, are we talking about the ills of society or are we talking about the ills within ourselves and at the end of the day are they one and the same you know and uh that that's something i think about a lot and a lot of times if i write lyrics and i don't feel like they not only both address something that's happening within myself or and something that's happening in terms of an interpersonal relationship and society at large, I don't. I I, I kind of check out at the end yeah. of the day, you know, it, yeah. because uh, it, what what's relevant at the end of the day? What's sure. what's something that's yeah. going to be universally mm-hmm. relevant? Uh, and maybe the average listener, someone just tuning in, might not tune into that necessarily. Yeah. Sure. yeah. But if it if I haven't checked those boxes, if I'm not. You, you know, holding myself accountable in terms of how I view the world, then I don't know if it's worthy to put into people's ears sure, at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, it's it's difficult as a lyricist to to ever know what anyone's going to take out of anything you say. Because 
people will interpret things their way. They put it through their lens and they focus it their way and whatever it means to them, it means to them. And I have personally, intentionally, especially, I mean, this is, again, this is really the only band where I've been like the lead singer, the primary lyricist, all that kind of stuff. Um, so everything's kind of coming through my lens, but I've always sort of like shied away from anything too personal because... Or put it through a different lens. Well, it's I, I try to imagine like, oh, what would it be like if I was in this situation that I am not privy to, but I wonder what a, how I would react, or I wonder what I would say, or I wonder what a person would say who's like this, you know? So I'll I'll say like, well, so I'm the bad person. What would the bad person yeah. say in this situation? How would they react to a person that they're hurting or harming or whatever? How would they? Um, to, to try to get both perspectives, but also um, to write in such a way where it's just not so obvious. Yeah, where didn't the, the listener goes, well, that reminds me of this that okay. I that happened in my life. And so, but every once in a while, something will creep out and and people will connect to it in a way that, you know, to me almost felt like, well, I said too much. Dang it. I said, you know, I was a little too honest in that moment but man a lot of people sure connected to that and so there's a struggle there to be honest all the time in that way i'm always honest but but i'm but i'm not necessarily honest about me you know i'm not necessarily putting my personal self out there so much but but when it gets the response like that so like just an example the song better off of okayist came out last year to me it's a very simple song it's a very simple notion of I can do better you know it's a very simple thing about when you're with someone they have expectations of you and you know what their expectations are and you know that their expectations are totally something you can meet like you can totally do that they're not even asking the world they're asking for something totally simple but somehow your brain still messes it up. Like you just find yourself not getting the job done. And it's not their fault. They're not asking too much of you. You're, you're messing it up. So sometimes you just have to look in the mirror and go, I can be better. I, I'm not this person and I'm trying so hard. I need you to understand that I'm trying and I promise I'm not, I'm not, I'm just a little messed up. And I, and I want to so bad, but it just every once in a while I don't meet it and I'm so sorry. I apologize for that and I know it drives you nuts and sometimes it, the honest side of that is man it drives me nuts that they want me to do that you know God, why why can't I just but they're not asking too much it's just you flipping it you know trying to make it about them when it's not it's just about you so that song it's it's so obvious what it you know but it resonates with people because it's obvious you know some people just gravitate to the obvious it makes sense to them that way um, Whereas you take a song like off of Duchess, the song This Curse, totally about me. Everything about me. That song is me to a T. What that song is totally about is the fact that I never ask anybody for help because I don't want to inconvenience anybody. And the flip side of that is I don't ask them for help because if they don't meet my expectations, I'm going to be disappointed. And I don't want to be disappointed <laughs> in them because it's not their fault. They're just trying to help. But I know how I'm going to feel about it, and that's not fair to them. It's the paradox of volunteerism. Well, it it's is. Like, it totally it's is. Like, like, hey, I'll volunteer to help you. And then if they don't actually help you, 
it's difficult to be upset with them right. because they volunteered. Because they their volunteered, help. yeah. So, so what? So what? My life ends up being, and this is just a constant theme in my life. It is my curse, is that I end up taking on too much myself because of fear of either being let down by someone, um, and not having my expectations met, um, but also inconveniencing someone to even ask them. You know, so I just say, oh, I'll just do it myself. It's all right. You know. And that goes into so many aspects of my life, whether it be like I don't share anything on Facebook, I'm, I don't post anything about anything I'm thinking, hardly at all, unless it's funny. If it's funny, I'll share it. But I'm just not that person. I don't, I don't tell everyone what's going on all the time because I feel like everyone's got enough stuff and my stuff's just stuff on top, even though it would probably help. Even though it would probably be cathartic right, for me. All right, all right, even though it would probably help me for people to, to know and to reach out, but my thing, my brain says, don't, nah, nah, don't worry, nah, they, you just deal with it. You just well, figure it out on your own. It's bad. It's along not those lines, we have a platform in which I can actually ask you what's on okay. your mind, and <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easy enough to you know um, not say something or address something on social media, and that's completely fine. Sure. Yeah. yeah there's yeah, nothing. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. But, you know, we, you have some folks in your band that are very socially conscious yes. and, you know, sociopolitically active. And we're recording this uh, just a, a few days before essentially the episode is going to air. So, um, you know, we're about a week deep in the George Floyd situation and protests breaking out across the United States. We yep. have a president that is threatening martial law where are you at in all this where where what are, what are your thoughts <clears throat> you know i'm curious to know what brent brent moore has to say yeah. about the situation since we don't have the luxury of being able to appreciate okay. brent moore's thoughts on social media <laughs> let's broadcast this across me missouri yeah, i want to so, know what you think so what i think is uh i am trying to be the best listener i can possibly be right now and that's that's the that's the choice I've made. I have my feed is full of everyone saying what they want to say or what they think about it and all that. And most of those voices are white. And right now, this the choice I have made is to listen and let the voices that I believe need to be heard speak the loudest. And that doesn't mean. Again, people people need to share in order to, like, that's how they deal with things. And I totally get that. So it's not a condemnation to anyone doing that. That's what I've chosen to do. And that's why I've, you know, Shay speaks for us. We, trust, recent, we, we trust her. We know, we love her. And I can't put myself in her shoes. And I can't put myself in her experience. And I know that it's different than every other experience than anyone else has had too. But when it comes to these types of issues, my voice is not the voice that needs to be heard. Her voice is because that's the voice that matters right now is the black voice. And that's not my voice. My voice has had plenty of time forever and ever to say all it ever wanted to say. Absolutely. And by and large, it said the wrong things along the <laughs> way. So, so I, am, I am completely content to stand back and listen and try to learn and educate myself and be the best 
person I can be for them in the way that I can be that person for them. You know, again, I, my situation is different than some people in that uh, I'm a father and a husband, and I have those things to think about as a priority in my own personal life. Be it fair or not, number one for me is the safety and the health and well-being of my little unit. Um, do you worry that if you spoke out? No, I don't. You, I don't worry about yeah. retribution or anything like that. Because, like I said, I got a feed full of people speaking out, and I'm not worried about any of them. Anything happening to them? It's just I'm. That's not a concern at all. I don't even worry about blowback or backlash or anything like that. Because honestly, all of the things again that that Shay is saying is what I believe, yeah. and I trust. I told her I I completely believe in you and trust in you to say what needs to be said and what is the right thing to say and I'm going to sit and when you share a link I'm going to read it because I want to I need to educate myself if it's about being a better ally I'm going to read it because I want to know how to be that I don't want to say this is what people should read or this is how it should be or you should look over here no you share it and I'll read it you you guide me to be the best person I can be for this community because that's not. I, I didn't grow up in that community. I don't know what that community needs. I don't know what they need to hear. I don't know what to do. I can, I can donate money to the, but I want to do it to the right things. I don't want it to just go off into. So tell me which. Tell me where to put it. Tell me you know those types. Of, I'll do what I can do, um, but for me personally, now if it, if it came down to like oh my god, it's happening, war is happening a new civil war is happening, of course you figure out how to defend, you know, or whatever. Um, but for my, for, again, for my family and my kids, uh, I'm not on a front line. I'm not, you know, and, and that maybe that says something about me, but, but that's where I am. And I, and I fully understand that that is a luxury that I have. I get it, you know, I totally get it, that I am able to go... I'm not going to go out in the street today because I can, because, because I can, but because will, you don't I, have to, I will try. That's what I'm saying. Like I get it. That's the privilege. I, get it. There, I totally get right? it. Yes. I am fully accepting of the privilege that exists for me, uh, as a white man. Um, and always has, you know, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter that there have been struggles in my life. It's still nothing compared. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. everyone has struggles. Everyone has things. But on top of that, I also don't have to worry about going jogging. I also don't have to worry about the cop that pulled me over. I also, you know, like, Absolutely. when every single instance of leaving your house is terror or possible terror or possible death, I can't even fathom what that's like. To live that way. And again, I grew up in a place that's still, for the most part, kind of socially segregated. You know, yeah. when I go back home, it's still that there is a part of town where black people live. And there are schools where black people go. And it's not, it's, it is in the infrastructure. Because that is what history has dictated for the people that live in this area. It's just, it started out worse and then it sort of evolved into this sort of separation that exists. Um, and so, so I've seen those things firsthand, but I didn't like know them when I was a kid, you know, I didn't really understand. I saw, I saw adults that I was supposed to respect and trust 
say things that now I'm just like, oh my God, what is it? Like, can you, I can't believe these people, these God-fearing oh, yeah. you know, I, people I can't were, were saying in front of me as a kid or, or people that I saw or things that I said that I thought I'm were funny as a little I'm friends with all these teachers kid. on Facebook that just post the craziest stuff. It's, it's, and it's like the fact that they were educating me as a child. I know. Is it's, it's kind of scary, yeah. But it, you know, they're ta- they're joking about running over protesters, yeah, and you know, like, like vehicular manslaughter, right? And I know, <laughs> I know, it's 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 uh, it's a lot to uh, it's a lot to process, but it doesn't it doesn't matter at the, to you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, who cares? If it's a lot to process. Deal with it. Process it. Yeah, you know, they they've had to process it. They've had to deal with it their whole lives. Um, so like I said, I, I am, I am trying to listen as the best I possibly can to the voices that I think, that I hope are the right voices to listen to. I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be, um, that is so remembered as a actually person. hear though out loud. Yeah. Like it's for real that I, it's so much of what I see. It's like, do you want to be on the right side yeah. of history here yeah. like what what do you think is going to happen if you choose that other side like we have historical precedent for this type of thing and it never worked out for your side <laughs> you never got what you wanted in the end why do you know I, yeah but but again i'm i'm putting i'm trying to put my experience on someone else's experience um and sometimes you can't, you know. There, there are just people you will never reach. There are just people that you will never get through to, regardless of how hard you try. There are just people full of hate. There are just people uh, full of prejudice. Um, and and that is the world that we live in right now. And it's getting ugly. And it's but but the people are showing themselves. And that's the takeaway for me is like, well, now we're we're starting to know who all these people are because everyone's watching. All eyes are turned to these people, and they're getting just pulled out of the crowd consistently. They're, like, oh, they're exposing themselves. They are, they're, and they're, yeah. and they're, they're paying the consequences because yep. the majority doesn't feel that way. You yeah. know, I mean, that that's ultimately the what majority of people don't think it's okay to run over people they regardless of the situation. Right, right. We're speaking with Brent Moore of the Many Color Death on the Big Money Music Hour on KBIA FM 91.3. And we have talked about a lot of stuff. It's been a little heavy, yeah. honestly, compared to uh, past BMMH episodes. But let's talk about music. Yeah, right. Sure. You know, it. like it's the Big Money Music Hour. Right. And <laughs> so you were in Texas. Yes. You were kicking around with some some dudes that yep. were down with Soundgarden and Rush, yeah. And eventually you got to Louisiana, back back to Louisiana. No, nope, never or, went back. Did you you just you just tell tell me about how the Many Color Death came to be? Because so, that, that's uh, let's 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 fast forward a little. Fast bit. forward a little bit. Okay, yeah. So I uh, I moved to Missouri originally in '98. Uh, I came up to go to school. Uh, I met my wife on a cruise right after high school. So I just Where was gra- the cruise. It was uh, it was Virgin Islands. So I just graduated high school. She had just graduated high school. She's from Sedalia, um, and we just ended up on the same boat. <laughs> really? Yeah, not in line. So I'm. We were taking the shuttle bus from. Uh, we were in San Juan. I believe is where it took out 
Yeah, that was the port where we towed. San Juan, we're riding the shuttle bus to the ship from the airport. It's me and my mom. Um, we're meeting some family friends, some one of my mom's old friends and their kids and stuff. Uh, it's her. So this isn't just like a crazy college cruise. This, no, 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 no. You're, you're like no, with families is, and stuff. Yes, I am. I am. I'm taking my graduation trip. My mom just turned forty, so she it's her fortieth birthday trip. We're going together on this cruise, and we're going with people who cruise all the time, family friends. So they kind of know the ropes, and they're going to guide us through what to do while we're on this cruise. On the shuttle ride over, there's an old couple that we kind of strike up a conversation with, and they said, "Oh, you should meet her granddaughter. She's going to be on the cruise with her mom." Okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, at the time, I'll say this, at the time I had a girlfriend, um, and I didn't have any intention of anything. This is you know, high school. This is just after. Okay. I, I graduated, like, the <laughs> day before. So it was, we, like, I graduated the next day. We Thanks got for the caveat. Plane. Yeah. But obviously, you no, no, no. Landed, Well, and, and it was a long, right. it was a long distance relationship, too. Like, she, oh. she lived in Louisiana, so we didn't even live in the same place. So, but that's, that's just a, a little part of the story. So... So I get, uh, we, we get on uh, the ship, we get unpacked. First night, we're on deck of the ship, and there's a big party for the big push-off and all that kind of stuff. And I see her, and I think, oh, she's cute. Okay, well, whatever, you know. I mean, again, I'm not, like, in that mode because, again, I've got a girlfriend. I'm a good guy. I'm not yeah. thinking that. I'm here to have fun with my family or my mom and friends and stuff like that. We're having a good time. Uh, so we, we do the cruise for a week. Um, she and I hang out a ton. There just ended up that there was uh, kind of like a group of kids that were all sort of uh, 17 to 20-ish in that age range, about like 10 of us. And every night we would all meet up in the, the discotheque on the boat and we would just party all night and dance and laugh and, and sing karaoke and do all that. That was what we did every evening. Um, and we just really hit it off. Uh, you know, during the day, we'd kind of go off on our, you're doing our own family stuff and excursions and all that. We always met up at the, at the nightclub at night and, and everyone had a great time. Um, last <laughs> it's day of the so cruise. so wild for me to imagine that, that you all set up your future family and romance, like just on Crazy. a discotheque out right. on a cruise in we the open water. That's how we <laughs> met. I think I was Brett. I was introduced to her as Brett or something on a dance floor. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so so when the cruise was over, uh, told each other goodbye, exchanged numbers. Uh, I went home and broke up with my significant other. She went home and broke up with her significant other. And then we started a long-distance relationship um, for a year. And so we saw each other throughout. Her grandparents, again, were in Dallas, which is, I was living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So, uh, you know, I came up to Missouri and saw her in August before she went to Mizzou. Um, she came down for Thanksgiving. I saw her then. We saw each other at New Year's. I came up for like a Valentine's Day thing that she was doing. And then I made the decision to transfer up to Mizzou because I just wanted to get out of the South. I just wanted to be somewhere else. And I knew her and we, we kind of had a thing going on. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go up there. If it doesn't work out, it's a big school. You don't have to see each other. It's a big place. Um, but we, I, I moved up to Missouri in 98. And we dated for the rest of college. I graduated in 2002. We got married that summer. Um, moved to Arizona for a couple of years. Uh, I was going to go to school out there for audio production. And, uh, and just, it, it was really expensive. It was a short program. And I met a ton of people out there that had gone to school there and were doing nothing. They were like working at Guitar Center or whatever. And 
for the amount of money that the school cost, I did not want to end up working at Guitar Center. So I kind of chickened out, and it's one of my big life regrets is not just going ahead and doing it. But I didn't. Uh, we were really halfway you across the country. You can shop at Guitar Center right now if you well, want. Well, I know. We're, we were halfway Except across the country. Except I hear some, I hear a lot of them are getting looted right yeah, now. Yeah, so. I know. Um, we were, so we were halfway across the country. We really wanted to be closer to family. We were starting to think about starting a family, that sort of thing. So we moved to Texas. Um, it, it didn't work out there for us. It just, it, like, we just couldn't make it work. We were there for five years. We had our daughter while we were there, and we're like, let's go back to Missouri. Every time we go up for the holiday, we enjoy it when we're up there. Let's go back to Missouri. So we moved to Missouri in 2009, and what, part of the move was like, when we get there, I am finding a band because I cannot do this. I have to have a band. I have to have something going on because um, I had had a job that I just oh, I couldn't stand in Texas. Oh, was and That it? was part of I worked for a helicopter engine manufacturer. Really? Um, yeah, and I had, so I had like multiple jobs. So I started, so the drummer from my high school band, uh, he's a helicopter engine mechanic. And so he got me the job there when we moved to Texas because I just needed a job. And so I started like shipping and receiving and then worked my way over uh, to uh, the foreign trade zone. I was in there and, uh, and then ended up being like their repairables coordinator. So any parts that came off helicopter, engines that needed repaired, they came through me and I funneled them to the right vendors. Anyways, I, it was a soul crusher, like a total soul crusher. Great money, total soul crusher. So when we moved, I was like, I gotta have a band and I gotta find a job that's more enjoyable. Uh, so I immediately did, did the thing that you did at that time, which was uh, put a Craigslist, you know, start hitting Craigslist and trying to find people to, to hook up with. And uh, I answered an ad. Might want to rephrase that. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. <laughs> hook up with Musical.ly. Um, <clears throat> so I answered an ad looking for a bassist. And uh, the tryout was, um, they were also trying out a drummer that night kind of like a twofer thing um so it, it was two guys the the first guy eric um he was he played bass but wanted to play guitar and sing so he put out an ad for a bassist and this guy dan answered that ad and so dan was a bassist but he wanted to play guitar and, and sing so they put out another ad for a bassist and i answered that a guitarist who sings right so I show up at the tryout, it's the two of them and me, and there's a guy trying out on drums, and then his roommate plays bass. Um, his roommate shredded on bass, and I'm like, why don't we just get this guy? But he wasn't trying out, he was just kind of like there to help out. He was in the band La Movida, I don't know if you remember them. I remember Sort of that, like the yeah. salsa dancing, uh -huh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, he was yeah. in that band, great bassist, I can't remember what his name was. Anyways, uh, through the course of that tryout, the drummer didn't work out, but... I had my iPod and I had a whole bunch, I mean like years of ideas and demos and stuff and I started showing them to them and they're like, oh that's great, that's cool. Let's, so the three of us got together, Dan, Eric and I, put out an ad for a drummer, Shay answered, she came over to my house, we jammed, I'm like, she's really good, <laughs> I would love to be in a band with her. So she said, sure, yeah, I'd love to do this. So that was, that was in December of 2009 where she joined. And it was, uh, so it was me, her, Dan, and Eric. Eric, the original guy who started the whole thing and wanted to play guitar and sing, started playing bass way more than he ever wanted to. So he decided to drop out. So we were a three-piece uh, with Dan playing bass most of the time, but any song he wrote, he would play guitar on. And I think we played two gigs 
as that group in 2010, early in 2010. One at Rose and then one outside. I think it was like the first year they did Summerfest um, on that little like flatbed in the Rose lot to the side there. And uh, those were the two gigs we played. And then Dan was a student at MU. He was graduating. And uh, so we were like, well, I guess we gotta find a bassist. And um, in the meantime, Dan was still in the band, but I was kind of looking and looking and had uh, put out an ad, but I had also, I was working at the Blue Guitar. And so kind of keeping my eye open there. Uh, we had a couple people answer ads, jammed, didn't really work out. Preston came into the store one day and wanted to try out a bass. And so I sat him down. Um, and he started playing, and I, I could already tell, like, okay, he's got, like, a pretty melodic ear. I can hear it when he's playing. And then he started playing Schism by Tool, um, and he got the chords right at the intro, and, he, and I'm like, okay, well, he's pretty good. I'll ask him if he wants to try out. So he said yes. He came over and tried out. Like, I'd send him a couple songs to learn, and he did, and it's great. Like, it, it just, it worked out musically. Now, it didn't work out in other ways right off the bat because Preston was young. I mean, they were both young. They were 19 at the time, um, and I was 30. So my priorities were totally different. I had a kid, I had a wife, I had a job, I had a house, car, all this stuff. And they were like fresh out of high school. Shay was in college. Preston had just moved up from Rolla like the year earlier. Um, and so he, you know, he was still figuring out you know, what his life was going to be like and all that kind of stuff. And um, so it was, you know, musically, I think we we bonded pretty quick. Um, socially, we had some things to work through there for a little while, but we got all that figured out. And, you know, a year later, we felt like we were pretty locked in and, and knew where we were at least headed at that time. Well, it's come across in the music you guys have put out. I mean... Um Literally, you guys have put out some of the best rock albums that Missouri has ever seen, let alone uh, whether it's mid-Missouri or beyond. Um, and you guys are doing a, a strong national push with uh, the single Drown that yep. you're going to be doing an acoustic performance of here at the end of the show. Yes, sir. Um, but, you know, bring, bring me up to the present date. You know what? Sure. What? What does the future hold for for the Many Color Death? I mean, obviously, <laughs> you guys like a lot of bands were on your way to having a really productive and busy twenty twenty, and I know that uh, you, you guys have you like always are are very inventive and fun in terms of how you interact with your fans on sure. social media. But what's next for the Many Color Death? So, uh, so the radio, we are pushing a single to radio for the first time in the way that we're pushing it to radio, which is national radio. We're, um, we've got a radio guy, and we've got um, an A&R person who owns a label who's working with us, um, Holly Hutchison Wyman. She's working with us and um, has signed us for this single uh, to release it through her avenues. We're going to be pushing it to radio, you know, regionally, but also around the country. It's already been picked up in California and played out there, which is pretty cool. Um, that's the main thing right now that we're, now that was supposed to happen in March. So it was all lined up. We were ready to go. We had shows lined up and then COVID hit. And so everything stopped. We paused. Um, 
and waited, and then we're like, okay, uh, let's regroup. We'll come back to this. We'll figure it out. Um, figure out what we're gonna do. We decided on a new date. It was gonna be uh, today. <laughs> today, 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 today. Which is uh, the June second. We're, we're recording on June second. On June second, which ended up being like blackout day for the music industry. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, it also and, and also you know the uh, everything that's happened you know nationally occurred. Now, granted, that wasn't going to stop that particular thing from happening but the music blackout day kind of stopped that thing from happening yeah. even the distribution service kind of like shut it down so we thought you know what we'll wait so it's going to come out uh, six nine uh next week is the date where it officially radio is it's getting pushed and phone calls are being made and stations are being hit up and we're looking to hopefully be added to uh, you know, I, 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 there is a map that they're trying to work, I believe, which has to do with where we think touring would work best. And so the whole idea is get played on a radio station, get people to hear you, and then when you go to that town and play, they actually know you. They actually know the song. It's not you're just showing up randomly on yep. a Wednesday and nobody knows who you are and three people show up. So, so, that, so, so right now we're kind of full into that. Um, we're also... Like you said, we're we're constantly trying to think of ways to interact with uh, with fans of the music and things like that that um, that they will enjoy. You know, I've I've done a few like song breakdowns where we we did some polls and saw what people might want me to you know play on guitar and and work through the song and so I've done a few of those which were fun to do. That's something we'd never done before. Um, we're uh, Shay and Preston are going to be doing kind of like a Hot Ones type thing where they're they're doing progressively hotter wings and answering questions that fans sent in and and that sort of thing, which is fun. Seems um, like they they responded to one of the questions I dropped. I hope did they? They, they pick one of mine. All right, <laughs> cool. So uh, so they're doing that. Um, we're, we're we've got some other things we're kind of like spitballing in the background and talking about. This is our tenth year as a band. Uh, like you said, we you know we I think we canceled like 19 shows um, when <laughs> when COVID hit. So for us that was insane because we usually you know we may play 25 a year or something. So we had already played eight or nine I think, and then we had to cancel that many after it. So a lot of stuff. Uh, and then you know we were supposed to play Point Fest that got canceled officially now. Jeez, um, I didn't so, even know that. Yeah, so uh, so there's just the you know for as much of a downer as so much of that is, um, we've got this new single coming out. Um, uh, we're excited about pushing that. We're excited about what could possibly come uh, from that. Um, you know, and that's the thing that's the the industry is so different now, and so much has changed um, with the way people consume. And the way people listen and and those types of things that uh, it's a new era for us like we're learning because again we've been a band for 10 years we've been doing things the way we thought you did things you know and again I'm older so like for me I'm constantly thinking boy we were 10 years too late to the game because 10 years before this if we'd been this band somebody would have seen us somebody would have taken a chance on us uh, but it just, it doesn't work that way anymore. It's, you know, you just have to grind a little harder. You have to find different Absolutely. ways to work your way into the consciousness of a public that, uh, doesn't consume music the way they used to, you know, yeah. it doesn't I mean, mean that there's... they don't love music and it's not a big part of their life. Like it's always been. 
Um, but I, but I definitely think something has happened. There's been a, there's been a shift in the arts, for sure. Where <coughs> artists and art has lost some of its value to the public. I think. I think they've taken it for granted in a way. At least as far as music is concerned. Well, there's it, no doubt yeah, about I it. mean, it, it, it just it, there's something. I I think people have gotten to a point where. When and I don't, I don't want to jump on this thing in particular. I know a lot of people bagged on him at the time. Lars was kind of the dude who came out and said Napster's going to ruin it, you know. And a lot of people bagged on him and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that you can get music like that, like it's just like you can type in a search, find exactly what you want, listen to it for as long as you want to, not pay a dime to the artist. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to go and buy a record. You don't have to go to a show. You can watch that... a show online. You can do... And again, I, that's not that's not an indictment necessarily of the people. The people are just doing what comes naturally to them. You know? It's just like sports. The reason some people always go to a game is because that is what they love. They love the atmosphere. They love, you know... But there are some people who go, well, I already pay for cable, and I've got a giant TV, and it looks amazing, and I get all the angles, and I get the comments that I want to hear, and I'm getting the inside scoop, and that's okay with me. you know. See, and so it's that way with music, too. I think people are like, well, I can just hear what I want whenever I want to hear it, anytime I want to hear it, and I can pay $9.99 a month. And I know, I know, we all know that for... Every stream, on, you know, the average payout for a stream on Spotify is .00318 cents per stream. You can get a million streams. You're still not talking, what, 3000 bucks or whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't even know it's that much. 300 bucks, Whatever yeah. it is, it's nothing. It's yeah. minuscule. Whereas, when you didn't have that option, when you had to go buy a CD, even if the CD was 10 bucks, you know, and the label took eight of it and the artist got a dollar, that's a dollar. You know how many streams it takes to make a dollar right now? Yeah. Um, so, the again, I'm not mad. It is what it is. I can't change, you know, there's no, there, I can't change that. This is where we are right now. So you have to adapt and work to it. But what it means is, and I think what a lot of people don't realize what it means, is that a whole revenue stream for the music industry completely disappeared recorded almost music, overnight. Recorded music is just the per, it, the advertisement for the live show. It is an ad to get you to go to a show. Yep. That's all it that's is. Pretty because that's much where all you make is. your money. Yep. You make your money playing live and selling merch. Yeah, um, And, you know, Tool is almost the last they are. harbinger of bands well, that, that held out. And then even they... They, they were like they finally said us we got you got yeah, we have a new album so yeah. we we should probably uh you know and hop on Spotify again that's something I think with our with our band we've tried and I've tried and this is me pushing it too but I still love opening liner notes I still love reading lyrics while I'm listening Absolutely. I still love all that stuff so we've tried even though it's expensive to maintain some level of that like here's a thing that you're paying for. Please know that you're buying the music 
You're buying all the hard work it took to make the music, to record the music, to produce it, to mix it, to do all that. Here's something extra. Here's some art with it. And here's, here's all. Yeah. Here's, here's, a, here's, here's something that aspect. you can interact with. Yeah. Here's something we thought about. Which is why I can appreciate the 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 tool album yeah. that they put out because yeah, they, absolutely. I mean, they of course go the umpteenth mile in terms of. Yeah. You know, giving you a, a three-dimensional or whatever yeah. like video experience that goes along with it. Yeah, I know. Because that's crazy. that's what it takes takes for people to get excited about a CD. Yeah. But right. at the end of the day, there's a, a certain bandwidth for just. Yeah, at the end of the day, people just want to hear the songs. I think, in the end. So if the songs are good. Whether you package it in a cardboard sleeve or whether you put it with all the stuff, if the music's good, that's what they care about. Which means when someone comes to an MCD show, they may have already listened to our music a bunch of times on Spotify. They'll still buy a CD because they look at it and go, well, that's 10 bucks right into the pocket of the band. That's pretty cool. And look, they, oh, you could, whoa, they'll open it up and go, oh man, this picture's hilarious. Or, oh, this, that's cool. That's weird, you know? Here's a place for you to sign. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, you want me to write it right here? That's that's awesome. You like you care that much. That means so much when people when it clearly affects them in a way, you know, and that's why to me it's still important to have those things. Um, they're a way to connect. They're a they're a tangible, um, tactile there is a there's still a tactile portion because to me, especially rock music. It is a very visceral, tactile type of music. Absolutely. There is sweat flying. There's, yep. You're jumping. You're moving. You're shaking. You're yelling. You're screaming. People are moving around in the crowd. Um, that music demands interactivity. You know? you, you, it demands people. Because if you don't give it back, it, then it doesn't want to give back to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, that can be difficult when it's not reciprocal, but it sh it's always been a reciprocal art form in the same way as at a merch booth. It's a reciprocal thing. Like, they walk up and they go, wow, you gave me a great show. I'm going to show my appreciation by, you know, advertising for you with all this cool stuff that you also spent time on, not just practicing so that it would sound good on stage, but you also spent a lot of time and your own money putting together this spread of things that you think would be interesting to me, and they are, and I'm interested in that. And so we don't have, we can't put video screens in our CDs, you know, as much as I would love to do something super cool like that. But the next best thing I can do is like put the lyrics in there, you know, or and I can remember, this is a weird example, but I remember how excited I was when I got my self-addressed stamped envelope back in the mail from Weezer. And it had like, handwritten <laughs> lyrics to the blue album in like draw like drawings or whatever you know and it was like a photocopied packet you know that they had <laughs> but that's cool like yeah. that you could write to a p.o box and send an envelope <laughs> and get something back that's yeah. a, what a cool thing something you know it's direct and conversational yeah yeah and that's a thing that you that again you hope that that stays like i still have a huge cd collection a lot of them are from high school. It's the original ones that I had. Um, because at some point, to me, it's I don't listen to them on that media anymore. That's that's just but they're there. I can pull it off I can pull it off the shelf and open it up and remember, go right back to when I sat on the floor and listened to it for the first time. You know, there's so many of my memories from that time. I can remember being in John Gist's bedroom listening 
to Pisces Iscariot or the the Gish uh, the John Peel Sessions EP from the Smashing Pumpkins. I can remember I was in uh, Driver's Ed at the mall in Sears, and we had our lunch break, and I ran down to Sam Goody and bought uh, Purple when it came out, like the day it came out, and ran back with it, you know, just in time. Uh, and couldn't wait to listen to it, you know, at home. Um, and then I remember uh, Scott Menzak saying that it, it sucked because it wasn't as heavy as core and it went soft. You know, it's just like weird uh, things that you kind of look back on and and uh, that connect. And I, I feel like we're trying to maintain that while also moving forward. Again, we've been a band 10 years. We've done it a certain way. And the way we were trying to do it, I think, was the way that it used to be done. But you can't do it that way anymore if you want to take it beyond a certain point. So we're pushing forward. We've got a new single. We're trying radio. We're trying, yeah, we're letting other people into the camp um, to help us. You know, again, it's that whole, it's this curse, you know, it's like not <laughs> wanting to let people in to help you. Um, that's my thing, but uh, I'm trying to be better about that. Well, See, I have two songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, once again, uh, I want to thank you for coming on here. We've been talking yeah. to Brent Moore from the Many Colored Death. It's been awesome as always. It really gets to know you on a whole new level. Uh, most of the time that we get to talk, it's usually uh, looking at each other's guitars backstage yeah. <laughs> and talking about, you know, the. Uh, Shared interest. I mean, it's backstage. There's usually music going. There's usually, you yeah. know, it's, you don't get too deep necessarily uh, in the b- backstage at a rock show when it's, you know, you've only seen each other once in a while. You know, yeah, absolutely. And, it's um, difficult to dive into that. So, you know, I, I appreciate your time. Yeah. And uh, the Many Color Death folks, if you haven't tuned into, the, into them yet, now is the time to tune in to MCD. All right, once again, I want to thank Brent Moore for being on the show. Great chat, epic chat. Um, I kind of ended that interview abruptly because at the end of it, I led into uh, introducing another Many Color Death song, which, again, we can't do here on the podcast. I can't play it because they're licensed, and that's just the way it rolls. But I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank Brent Moore for being our guest this week. And on behalf of everyone at KBIA and LV Creative, this is Colin Laveau, the Shameless Voice, signing off. The Big Money Music Hour, presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, is produced by LV Creative and KBIA-FM, an NPR station broadcasting from Columbia, Missouri. The show is hosted, written, and edited by Colin Laveau. Theme song written by Pat Kay, Outro song written by Crip Trip. Videographer is Matt Matlack of LV Creative, co-produced by Kyle Felling, Mike Dunn, and Alicia Laveau. For more Big Money Music Hour content, be sure to subscribe to the Big Money Music Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts.